If you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 8. Gospel of John and chapter 8. Technology can be amazing, right? Like these lights. They're wonderful until that switch by the door gets turned off and then you're like, why are those two rows of lights off Uh, like I was this morning? Technology can be a wonderful thing. Uh, With technology, we've been able to accomplish incredible things. Um, Just a few years ago, you you would look at some of the things we're doing now and just a few years ago, you you would say, well, that we'll never be able to do that or... Or you, you might not have even imagined some of the things that we can do today that, that you, uh, if somebody had suggested it to you several years ago, would be possible. You'd say, no, that, uh, that can't be possible. Uh, when I started using the Internet, I was thinking about that this this week. Uh, when I started using the Internet almost 30 years ago, how many have been using the Internet for 30 years? Almost 30 years, right? Uh, when I... When I started using the internet, it was, a, it was a little box called a modem connected to a desktop computer. And you remember that screeching noise that you would hear when it connected? And really, all, all I was doing then was connecting to a bulletin board service where people would sign on and post different things, just information about different things, not the internet like you know it today. And then, and then along came um, the... Uh, internet service providers that would let you get on the internet and browse web pages and they were if you can remember what they looked like 25 years ago they were terrible <laughs> incredible what uh, what internet websites looked like back then and the in- information that we exchanged there began to grow and grow and become uh, more common to go to the internet for information but you were still dialing up over the screechy modem when it connected and it was slow and you couldn't share it. And then we were um, fortunate to get a, a internet service through our cable provider, and the internet speed got a lot faster, and we connected it to Wi-Fi so everybody in the house could use it. How about that? Remember the first time you did that? You were able to use internet without having a wire connected to your computer? That's something in itself. And then many years later, I remember finally getting... Um, uh, fiber, and I'm not talking about your cereal at breakfast. Fiber internet was uh, blazing fast compared to cable internet, and so so fast you could stream live television, and not just live television, but you could watch multiple football games on your same screen at the same time. Ask me how I know. Uh, Amazing technology, isn't it? And then it became possible to have the internet in your pocket. Well, that was probably be, that was actually before fiber, but you could you could pull your cell phone out of your pocket and browse the internet and look for information and share things, share pictures and things. Incredible how far we've come in just a few years with technology. I saw this week that uh, with satellite internet. There are rockets launching satellites into space, sometimes dozens of satellites at a time. Those satellites are about the size of a refrigerator. And now, Alaska, all of Alaska can get on the Internet with high-speed Internet, uh, something that they have not been able to do until this week 
uh, not all of Alaska, some of them obviously have had internet, but that's incredible with satellite internet. And now people on the other side of the world can take out their phone and begin recording something live and live stream video from one side of the planet to the other so that millions of people with their phones can watch what's going on on the other side of the world. And 30 years ago, you would have like, likely said, and I would have too, that's, that's impossible. <laughs> Incredible what, what you can do with technology. Feats of technology still amaze me, and that's just scratching the surface of things that, that we've been able to accomplish. But for all the inventions that man has come up with, all the creativity, all the advancements of technology, there's still a fundamental problem that man has they cannot solve with technology. And that is the problem of sin. The problem of sin. For all the intelligence of mankind, we cannot invent our way out of our guilt and being held captive to the darkness of sin. You realize that mankind is held in the the gloomy chains of darkness, as the scriptures, because of sin. Without, Without Jesus, we're all doomed. We're all held in gloomy chains of darkness. The only, the only thing that will save us is the Lord Jesus Christ. Not technology, not the wisdom of mankind, not all the creative, incredible things that we can dream up. And there are some incredible things that we can dream up, but, but you, we can't solve our sin problem without faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why the message we're going to hear from Jesus in our passage today is timeless. The gospel is timeless. God's word is timeless. This is still the only hope for all mankind today who, without Jesus, are trapped in darkness. I want you to follow along with me in your Bible. I sent you to John 8. Go to verse 12. I'm going to read John 8, verses 12 through 20. And reading from the English Standard Version, follow along with me. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And then in verse 19, They said to him, therefore, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Something to notice here in chapter 8 
is that there's no longer a mention of the crowds that we've seen so far. It's likely not long after the Feast of Booths, that, uh, that feast also called the Feast of Tabernacles, but there are no more crowds. And the people we see now are Jesus' opposition. These are the ones who are opposing Jesus, seeking to be done with him, seeking to capture him and kill him. The people we see now are the opposition. And we've noted before, they're looking for something with which to charge him. And what they'll take issue with today in this passage, what they'll, what they'll take issue with now is the fact that Jesus declares himself to be, you heard it. Did you see it? Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world. Jesus uses these uh, descriptive phrases to uh, help us understand who he is as God incarnate, God in human flesh. Um, We've seen others here in John's gospel. Earlier in John 6 and verse 48, Jesus had declared himself to be, do you remember, the bread of life. The bread of life. And then in John 6 and verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's Jesus. And it's a suitable title for him, the bread of life. You you back up a couple of chapters uh, from there to John chapter 4 and verse 14, and Jesus tells the woman at the well, You remember what he said to her, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then in John 7 and verse 37, Jesus in effect declared himself to be the living water. Living water, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's Jesus. Bread of life. Living water. And now in the passage before us here in John 8, we hear Jesus declare that he is the light of the world. And to the people who are hearing him teach, and of course to anyone who reads this now, There's another radical claim Jesus makes when he says here in John 8, 12, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What's implied here in Jesus' declaration is that the world needs light. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. In other words, you need light If you don't have Jesus, you need Jesus. You need light. And that is so true. The world is in spiritual darkness without Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus today, it's because God drew you to himself. And as he drew you, he opened your eyes to the light of Jesus Christ. The world needs the light of Christ. The problem is, the world without Jesus, the unbelieving world, is rejecting Jesus. He rejects the light. I want you to turn with me back to John chapter 3 for a moment. We heard Jesus speak of people who reject him. 
rejecting the light, people who refuse to believe in Him. In John 3, look at verse 19. I'll read verses 19 through 21. John 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, people without Jesus are still blind, still chained in the darkness of their unbelief. I want you to listen to a, a passage from the Psalms. Psalm 36 and verses 1 through 4 says it this way, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Does that sound like something that was written this week? For the culture that we live in right now, the world that we live in is refusing to reject evil. Why? Because those who refuse to reject evil are bound in gloomy chains of darkness. They have, they have their eyes clouded by sin. Their spiritual eyes are, are darkened by the sin. They cannot see Christ. And so the problem is that people are so darkened by sin, they won't reject evil. In fact, they'll celebrate evil. And that's all of us. You realize that? You might point a finger at the world sometimes and say, what in the world is going on? But that would be you. If you're a believer today in Jesus Christ, that would be you if you hadn't been drawn to, to your Savior to have your eyes open, to believe in Him. That's all of us unless God draws us to Himself. The hearts of mankind are so dark they won't leave their sin. They revel in their sin. And that would be all of us. Instead, many people turn to all kinds of imposters. Again, that would be all of us. Even believers are, are tempted by imposters still. Even though you may have had your eyes open to see who Jesus is and believe in him, you're still tempted by imposters. J.C. Ryle, who ministered in the 1800s, speaks of this tendency of mankind to pursue false light, imposters. He writes this, False lights on every side invite man's attention in the present day. That was the 1800s. And it's still true. Sadly, it's still true. False lights on every side invite man's attention in the present day. Reason, philosophy, earnestness, liberalism, conscience, and even the voice of the church, are all, in their various ways, crying loudly that they have got the light to show us. Their advocates know not what they say. Wretched are those who believe 
their high professions. Doomed. He says wretched. I say doomed, right? The scriptures tell us we're bound in the darkness of sin without Christ. That's why we need the light of Christ. That's why we need this book to shine the light of Christ into our hearts, into our minds, to help us see who Jesus is clearly. That's the Apostle John. That's why he's writing this gospel, so that we'll see who Jesus is and believe in him. Unless you say, well, I believe, let's move along. (laughs) I would suggest you need to keep believing in Jesus. You need to keep your eyes on Christ. That's why John has written this gospel also, so that believers in Christ will keep seeing who Jesus is every day and keep believing in him. And we need the light of Christ. The answer to a sinner's darkness is the light of the world who is Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon, another minister who ministered a long time ago, points to that truth when preaching on Uh, This passage in John 8, in verse 12, he says, Christ, the true, the heavenly light, extinguishes all your earthly luminaries. That would be the false lights that J.C. Ryle was speaking of. Your earthly luminaries. The Jewish rabbi, the Greek philosopher, the ecclesiastical father, and the modern theological thinker are meteors that dissolve into mist. They make void the word of God through their traditions or their conjectures. Flee away from the nebulous forms and noxious fumes of their old traditions and new discoveries. Believe what Jesus said, says Spurgeon, and his apostles taught, and what you have had revealed to you in his own pure word. Christ is the true light. Believe in him. As Spurgeon says, believe what Jesus said and his apostles taught and what you have received and, and what's been revealed to you in his own pure, pure word. Christ is the true light. It's why I read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17, or uh, verses uh, 13 and 14 this morning, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Keep the word before your eyes. Keep believing in Jesus. If you've not trusted in Jesus Christ, today's a prime opportunity for you to turn to Christ and believe in Him and be saved. This is what John's Gospel is showing us. Jesus Christ is the only remedy. It's the only hope for the disease of sin. Incredible what we've been able to do in the medical field to help solve the problems of so many diseases. But the, the disease of sin cannot be solved by our creativity, our ingenuity. It can only be solved by faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Psalm 36.9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Who's that? That's Jesus. The light who is Jesus Christ, the light of life. Now back to John 8. John 8, look again at verse 12. 
And you'll see here the incredible benefit for all people who follow Jesus Christ. Note that a follower is a believer in Jesus. If you wonder what a follower is, well, think believer in Jesus and one who keeps believing in Jesus. That's a follower. Note what happens to people who follow, who believe in Jesus. Jesus says in verse 12 here in John 8, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's a gift. Believe in Jesus. You'll have the light of life. The follower of Jesus is swept out of darkness and into light. And this light is the light of life who is Jesus Christ. So, what is it to follow Jesus Christ? Again, it's the same thing as believing in him. If you believe in Jesus... You are to wholeheartedly devote yourself to following him with your life. Following the teaching of his word, the Bible. You're to wholeheartedly devote yourself to following him in thought, the way you think, the way you think about things, the way you think about people, the words you think about saying. You're to fully devote yourself to following him in the way you express those thoughts in words you use in the way you behave, the way you choose to act, the way you do your work. That's what it is to follow Jesus. You're you're taking the Word of God, you're reading it for yourself, you're saying to yourself, this is God's Word, I must obey. I must keep believing in Jesus. I must obey. And the Word shapes everything about your life. The truth that God has given you in His Word shapes everything that you think and say and do. And what's the outcome if you're a follower of Jesus? You, you have the light of life. And those who follow Jesus, those who have the light of life, if you, if you believe in Jesus, if you follow him, you become a light bearer. You think about at the Olympics, uh, when, how, many, how many days before the Olympics did they start running that Running that torch, they become a light bearer. They're bearing the light of the torch to the next location of the Olympics, right? Something far better than that. And it's being a believer in Jesus Christ who becomes a light bearer for the light of Christ to the world. You have the light of life if you believe in Jesus. And if you follow him, you become a bearer of light. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about being a a channel, a conduit, for, for being a, a witness to Christ. That you're not a container who keeps the love of Christ to himself, but you become a conduit or a channel that, that delivers the truth of Jesus Christ. And here, the light of Christ. You become a bearer of light to the world around you. To those who need Christ, they see God at work in you. You're far from perfect, but they see you changing because God is changing you with his word as you walk with Christ. As you keep believing in Jesus. Here's how Matthew's gospel describes this truth where we hear Jesus declaring that all people who follow him become the light of the world. Matthew 5 and verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Good works. That's obedience. That's walking with Christ. That's believing in Jesus and walking with Christ. And do you see the outcome of this? God's intent is for the outcome of your obedience, your good works, to be giving glory to your Father who is in heaven, which leads to Christ and belief in Him. So if you're a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you are a light bearer. And the believer's light is to be a reflection of the life-saving, life-transforming light of Jesus Christ. We're to reflect that light of Jesus Christ. So right here, uh, some self-examination would be appropriate. As you read the scriptures and as you come to church and you sing the words of the hymns that you sing, and you hear the preaching and teaching of the Word in Sunday school, and in the morning service, evening service, Wednesdays, it's appropriate that you examine yourself to say, am I living this way? Am I, am I being obedient to this truth? Am I honoring God with my life? Self-examination would be appropriate here. If you say you're a believer in Jesus, would you say that this is true of you, that you're a light bearer, that your life points people to your Savior. It's not always true of us, is it? It's not. It's not always true of us because we're still dealing with sin this side of heaven, aren't we? We're still dealing with temptation. But it can be true of us. It can be true of you. If you walk with Christ as you yield to the Word of God, as you take in the Word of God to walk with Jesus Believing in Him with your whole life, it can be true of you that you you become a light bearer to the world around you. As the Spirit of God works in you, remember that God pours His Spirit into our hearts when we trust in Him. And with His Word and the power of the Spirit at work in us, God Himself working in us with His Word, we become light bearers as we grow in obedience to Christ. You can be the reflection of the light of Christ in you. We all ought to aspire to attain that. If you're a child of God, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you ought to want to be a light bearer. Now, I would suggest that we're all, uh, you know this, we're all different. And by God's design, we're all different. And there are various ways that we become light bearers. And many of us do different things than other people. And so in the ways that we are equipped and gifted and and God has given us tasks and, and we have our work and we have our families and we have our neighbors and so many ways that we become bearers of light. You think about your life. Think about how you could aspire to be a bearer of light to the world in which God has placed you, where you are, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, with your family, with your gifts, with your talents and your interests. Now look at verse 13 again. There's a clear example here of the contrast between people who believe in and follow Jesus and those who refuse to believe in him and reject him. 
Here's verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. They're challenging Jesus. Why? Well, because they don't believe in him and they want to find something to accuse him with. And they say, look at it, verse 13, your testimony is not true. In other words, you're a liar. These enemies of Jesus, do they see the light? Do they have eyes to see who Jesus is? No, they're still darkened in their understanding for all their spiritual wisdom. And ironically, these are Jewish religious leaders. These Jewish religious leaders couldn't recognize the very truth of the scriptures they professed to know and teach and believe. They couldn't recognize the light of the world as he stood right in front of them and taught. Well, they want to argue with him about his testimony as to who he is, but they don't know Jesus because they don't know him. They, because they don't know him, they don't, they don't know the Father. Verse 14, keep going with me here. Verse 14, Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Again, they're judging by appearances. Remember that? When Jesus said, don't judge by appearances. Judge in truth. They don't, they don't judge by, by, by what's true. They're judging by the flesh. He says, according to the flesh, I judge no one. Verse 16, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. In other words... Jesus is challenging them that for all their so-called religious wisdom, for all their so-called religious knowledge, they really don't know God. They professed to be believers in God, but yet Jesus is challenging them, you don't really know God. It's clear here, too, they're arguing with Jesus about who he is. And if they really knew him, they'd know the Father. And so Jesus continues, verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him. And here we see it again. Because his hour had not yet come, they still can't lay hands on him. Why? Because God is in control. He's on God's timetable. God the Father has a timetable for Jesus to carry out before he is crucified, before he is eventually taken. But it's not now. And we see their unbelief We see the darkness of their hearts. This is the tragedy of being blind in your sin. And we see it all the time. You may not recognize it sometimes, but you might hear yourself say something like, when you see something going on in the world around you, why in the world do people do that? 
I catch myself saying that all the time. Why do, why do people do that? What were they? Oh, wait. I know. Their hearts are darkened in sin. They're blind to the light of life. They really don't know how to live. They, they haven't trusted in Jesus. This is why people do this. That's why people do that. When you hear yourself saying that, stop and remember. This is a tragedy of being blind in your sin. Jesus' enemies can only judge by what they see physically, and even that they don't see clearly. This is the power of sin to darken the understanding of an unbeliever. It is tragic. It should drive us believers to pray for our unbelieving acquaintances, family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors who don't know Christ. We ought to pray for them by name, asking God to open their eyes. We ought to ask God to help us be light bearers to them because of the power of sin to darken the understanding of an unbeliever. They need God to draw them to himself and open their eyes. And he may even use you to be a bearer of light, of truth to them in the process. And we still see the power of sin in the lives of people today for all the apparent wisdom in the world, for all the world thinks they know, for all the world seems to be able to accomplish with innovation and technology. They still don't know God. They still can't solve their own sin problem. We will only be rescued from sin if we repent of sin and believe in Jesus. The world needs to know that. Like it or not, whether the world likes to hear it or not, that's what the world needs to hear. They need to believe in Jesus. The problem of sin and its cure is made clear in a passage like James 4. It's all over the Bible, but James 4 is helpful. This also happens to be a sobering reminder to us if we truly, truly long to know God and follow Jesus and believe in Christ every day with our lives. We need to listen carefully to James, who says, verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That is talking about loving sin. When it talks about being a friend of the world, that means pursuing the, the things that are sinful. It's not, it's not hating your neighbor. It's not shunning an unbelieving neighbor. That's not what this is talking about. This is, this is about being in love with the things of the world that would draw you away from God and keep you from worship, worshiping the one true God and believing in Jesus. So, so the passage here in James 4.8, actually verse 4, James 4, 4, You adulterous people, do you, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. But He gives more grace. Here's the hope. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. That's a good thing. You ought to want to have God oppose you when you're proud and resistant of the truth to bring you to your senses. Verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist 
the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. How do you do that? It begins by believing in Jesus. It continues by following Jesus. Reading the word, obeying the word. The secret to knowing God is found in following Jesus. And that is why God sent his son. We're entering that season, now that Thanksgiving is behind us, we're entering that season of Christmas when we begin to think of why Jesus came into the world. But this is a message that that ought to ring in our ears every day. Why did Jesus come? Why did God send his son? Following Jesus begins when you submit to him by admitting your sin. Jesus came to save you from your sins. And you must repent of sin and believe in Jesus. It's the only thing that you can do to be saved from your sins. It's it's only then that you can begin to follow Christ and walk with Jesus. Jesus himself makes it clear when he says in John 14, 6, that he is the the only way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, no one is forgiven his sins. No one has the light of life without believing in Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, if you don't believe in him, if you don't follow after Jesus, You cannot know the Father and you cannot be saved from your sin until you do. Jesus says these wonderful words, I am the bread of life. And, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I'm the living water. And I am the light of the world. Come to me. Walk in the light. Believe. We may think we have some of this world's wisdom. We may think our hopes rest in the hands of men, but ultimately we're wrong about that. Our fate rests in the hands of Jesus. Jesus is truly our only hope. We see it here today. John's gospel is all about helping us understand that truth, that Jesus is our only hope. And once you place your faith in him, he's still your only hope. You keep trusting in him. You keep walking by faith, following him. Become a reader of the word. Let it saturate your heart and mind, the truth of God's word, to help you become a faithful follower of Jesus. Faith in Jesus Christ is your only hope. May God's word train our hearts today and always to follow Jesus Trusting in Him alone.